0: Hello and welcome to the James Kennedy Podcast. Thanks for coming back. Today, we're talking all about inequality. Someone that most of us, sadly, know a lot about already. But what if I told you that it's been actually scientifically proven, that it is in fact inequality that is the root cause for pretty much all of our social ills. I'm talking about things like mental and physical ill health, drug abuse, life expectancy, educational performance, violence, crime, fear, imprisonment, anxiety, insecurity, stress, depression, depletion of our resources, um, teenage pregnancy, pollution, corruption, environmental breakdown. Fucking everything is caused by inequality. Now, we all know that inequality sucks. It's unfair. It's not fair that some people should have more whilst others should be struggling. We, we kind of know instinctively that inequality is wrong. But Professor Richard Wilkinson and his wife, Professor Kate Pickett, have scoured hundreds and hundreds of studies from all around the world and correlated it with data on each country's level of inequality. They put all of their findings into the excellent book, The Spirit Level, which has sold tons and tons of copies and has been universally praised for actually putting into indisputable proof what most of us know instinctively that inequality is bad. Not only bad, but it is ruining our society, our values, and life as we know it. The book is filled with graphs and charts and references and studies and information, but it's a real easy read. It's a short book, and they focus each chapter at the start of the book on each social cause that I mentioned earlier, such as, you know, mental and physical health, uh, imprisonment, crime, violence. They go through all that stuff, and they explain what the correlation between social inequality is and those outcomes. And then they show you the graph. And what's uncanny about this is that all of the graphs look exactly the same. All of the countries with inequality are scattered upon the same point in the graph. So if you pick an issue, say violent crime, and then you you lay the statistics for, that we have around the world for countries that have rates of violent crime. You lay that on top of a country's graph for their level of inequality relative to the others and it shuffles about and it ends up looking exactly the fucking same as all the other issues. So the countries that have higher rates of inequality also have a correlatingly high rate of whatever issue you want to pick. It's really uncanny. And it's, like I say, it's kind of, you know, intuitive to us that we would know that anyway but it's so fucking normal for us now to to live in such unequal unjust and fucked up societies that we just kind of we're just trying to get through the week right you know what i mean but to see it there proven scientifically is a real wake-up call because it's like yeah okay we are we are really off track here we've been led astray by an ideology and a political system that is just not serving most people's needs So I've been really lucky to be able to get one of the authors of The Brilliant Spirit Level to come onto the podcast and blow your minds today. I've got the brilliant professor Richard Wilkinson, co-author of The Spirit Level, and he's going to explain the content of the book, the broader issues, why it matters, and what we can do about it. But before we get down to business, one more nag, have you subscribed to the goddamn podcast? I'm sick of asking you, man. If you're listening to this, please help the brother out. Click follow, click subscribe, click like, click share, spread the word. There's a lot of good info on this podcast developing now over the previous 40-something episodes with some really cool people and some really great minds. So please tell your friends about the podcast and spread the word and let's get this information out there and let's join forces and take control of our country and our society back again. Knowledge is power, man. It all starts with information and education. So... I'm doing my bit for the cause by getting access to these great thinkers and these great teachers and sharing this information with you guys free of charge. All you got to do is help me out by subscribing and, you know, helping me to promote this goddamn thing. Otherwise, you know what will happen. I'll go, do you know what? I can't pay my gas bill by making a free podcast. I'm going to have to get a day job and it'll all be your fault. So subscribe (laughs) to the podcast. Click share, click like, give me a star rating. Let's kick this up the algorithm and let's get this info out there. Right, so now you've been told, let's bring on the guest. Today, we are joined by Professor Richard Wilkinson. Richard is an epidemiologist, Professor Emeritus of Social Epidemiology at the University of Nottingham, co-founder of the Equality Trust and the co-author of the brilliant aforementioned book, The Spirit Level, as well as others. Richard, I've been really looking forward to speaking with you, so thanks so much for stopping by. How are you doing, sir? Thanks for
1: having me. It's nice to be doing this. I always think there's no point in doing research unless people get to know about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you there, man. Well, well, I'm grateful to you. Well, a lot of people do know about the book. It's done very, very well, and rightly so. I absolutely love the book. It's mind-blowing stuff, and I, it's so broad-ranging uh, that I can't imagine the, the level of research that must have gone into creating the book. So, yeah, you know, kudos to you and Professor Kate Pickett as well for, uh, for bringing us this amazing book. Uh, for those who haven't yet read the book or don't know anything about it, would it be possible to give us a bit of a summary as to what the book is about and what's the central theme of it?
1: Well, in a way, it comes from a out of a, a, a very old intuition that inequality uh, is, is, uh, socially damaging, socially corrosive, um, damages the social fabric in a society. But, uh, now you can get figures on the scale of income inequality in different countries and actually start to look and see whether there are differences in uh, various outcomes related to how unequal a society is. And, uh, in the rich developed world, um Countries like the USA and Britain are much more unequal than some of the Scandinavian countries, and it looks as if, as a result of that uh they suffer more violence um, more imprisonment uh, worse health, um, including mental health um a whole range of problems get worse. So, for instance, uh, as I said, the US is one of the most unequal of the rich developed countries. It has the highest obesity rates. It has more, uh, more homicide. It has more people in prison. Um, it has, uh, worse drug problems. Uh, its life expectancy is actually going down at the moment. Um, and, uh, Uh, that contrasts, for instance, with um, countries like Norway or Denmark, where you find exactly the opposite. They're doing well on all of those things, and they have much smaller income differences between rich and poor. And basically, we just did that sort of analysis.
0: It's uncanny when you look at it, because one of the things that that stood out to me, I mean, the book is very fresh for me at the moment, because I've only just finished reading it. So I'll just... um Reiterate some of the issues that you just mentioned there and in the book as well, uh, such, such as physical ill health, uh, drug abuse, lower life expectancy, educational performance, high rates of violence and imprisonment and crime, obesity, social mobility, teenage pregnancies. All of these things you mention in the book, and they all get a chapter. And what I found was really uncanny. As I mentioned in the intro, is that when you assess all of these issues and then superimpose them over that country's level of inequality, the graphs that that outcome from that are all exactly the same so it proves indisputably visually on the page that a country's level of inequality is directly related to its level of poor performance on anyone and all of these issues and i just found that really uncanny because it's it's airtight you know you would have thought there would have been a little bit of exception to the rule but there's not you know it's ironclad and i just found that very uncanny like for me it's case closed that inequality is the cause of these things.
1: Yeah, what's actually really uncanny is you find exactly the same pattern if you look at the 50 American states. Yes. Uh, some states do better than others, and the ones that do best are the uh, ones with the smallest income differences between rich and poor. And so, in a way, it confirms that intuition that's been around since, I guess, before the French Revolution, that inequality is divisive and socially corrosive. Uh, you know, that is a common intuition. And in a sense, all we do is show this in hard uh, statistical terms. What is surprising is that it's not just amongst the poor that inequality does the damage. Um, even better off people uh, would have happier lives if they were in more equal countries. Right. Uh, they'd be, their children would likely be less likely to get seriously involved in, in drugs. They might live a little bit longer. Uh, they'd do better educationally. They'd be less likely to be victims of violence. That kind of, uh, in that sense, uh, even better off people would do, uh, better if they lived in a more equal country. So we're all affected. And the problems which, um, inequality has its greatest impact on are the ones with what we call social gradients, problems that are, are more common amongst, uh, in, in the poorest areas, in inner cities. And we all know uh, in, in, in any of our big cities, the areas that have the worst health or the most violence or where kids do worst at school. Uh, so it's telling us that that pattern uh, gets worse in in um, um, more unequal societies which which makes a
0: lot of sense. Well it is an intuition I think, for, for many of us it would be common sense, but to have it there visually proven, it's indisputable you can see it with your own two eyes, you know, it's indisputable that this is a pattern that happens all around the world, everywhere that it's tested, whether it be in various states within a country or in countries around the world, it's just, it's an indisputable fact I think. Um, how do we get here then? Because what's quite distressing to read as a as a British citizen is that we are pretty much always at the top four of, of the worst cases, uh, whether it's mental health or drug abuse or violence or imprisonment or social mobility. We are always <laughs> pretty much at the top of the league there, along with the United States. Um, how is it that some countries like us are so unequal and then other countries like Japan or the Scandinavian countries are literally always right at the extreme other end of that graph?
1: Well, we used to be one of the more equal countries. Um, in the 1960s and 70s, um, we were as equal as the Scandinavian countries are now, um, and we did better on all these things. Right. If you compare us over time with other countries, you can see standards slipping as our income differences widen. Right. Um, and looking at things like infant mortality, uh, seeing that pattern there, that uh, you know, we used to be one of the best countries in those in terms of infant mortality, and you see, year by year, uh, our position in the sort of international league table of infant mortality is uh, slipping all the time. Until now, uh, we do pretty poorly. Mm. Um, and it's it it is, and still, you asked why. Um, there's a clear pattern in most rich countries that income differences were very large in the 1920s and started to decline in the 1930s and went on declining. So we were becoming more and more equal until the late 1970s. And then from about 1980 onwards, we get a huge rise in inequality again. And so we're now back to levels of inequality last seen in the 1920s. Wow. All the social progress has been reversed, uh, effectively. Um, class and status are now much more important than they were. Um, <clears throat> and with that goes declines in, in social mobility and, and so on. Um, the whole social structure has become more, more ossified status as i say matters much more i i think that long-term pattern of changes in inequality is the result of uh really political changes or ideological changes that uh if you like in the um uh, early part in the 1930s onwards, there's a growing importance of the labour movement, social democratic parties, a belief that people have that there is a better way our societies can work, better for all of us, that life can be qualitatively better. Um, and so you get uh, voices on on radio and television representing that sort of other view Um, what I call a sort of countervailing voice, if you like, um, whether they're trade union leaders or (coughs) uh, Labour Party figures or whatever. But um, from about 1980, that all starts to crumble, disappear, um, and you get a rise of uh, neoliberal free market fundamentalist ideology under Thatcher and Reagan, and it's not just in one country, it's an international change in thinking. Um, that that ideology, that right-wing ideology, wins out, um, and the left loses any confidence in what it's about, where it's going, and so mm. on. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's what happens. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, the Thatcher government and other governments around the world, they privatized the utilities, uh, you know, electricity, gas, water, phones, post offices, and so on. Uh, they lowered top tax rates. You know, in the 60s and 70s, top tax rates on the richest people were up to um 80 or even 90 percent. Now they're back to 40 or 45 yeah. percent. Um, So the rich are getting much, much more than they used to. But it's not just that the tax burden has declined. It's that the income differences before tax have uh, Mm. increased dramatically. Right. Uh, And there are now research papers looking at income differences within big companies. And you find CEOs were earning well, I sometimes think I shouldn't say earning, they were getting (laughs) uh, 20 or 30 times as much as the average production worker in the 60s and 70s up to around 1980. But by the first decade of this century, they were getting not uh, 20 or 30 times as much, they were getting two or 300 times as wow, much. Wow, yeah. Suddenly a huge escalation yeah. in the differences within large multinational companies. And there are also research papers which look and see whether the performance differs uh, according to how well-paid the CEO is. And if you take the top uh, four or 500 companies, in the US for instance you find the companies doing best are the ones with the less well paid CEOs right um you know so they're not actually earning it um uh, uh it's it's not justified at all by um performance uh, which is of course how they justify the outlandish yeah. salaries
0: that's really interesting. So I was going to mention, you, you said that it all started to go south on the, in the late 70s. And I thought, oh, what happened in the late 70s? Oh, yeah, Thatcherism, Reaganism. So it, you could see a direct correlation there between, um, you know, the, the undoing of socially orientated politics more towards... Completely, yes. you know, unregulated free trade capitalism, and the you can see that how the, the the corrosive social effect that that has had is is demonstrated clearly in your in your graphs. Yes,
1: yeah, so although it's hard to sort of graph changes in ideology, what people have graphed is uh, changes in the proportion of the labour force in trade unions. Right, and you see as uh, the proportion in trade unions goes up. Uh, inequality comes down, and then when the proportion in trade unions starts to uh, starts to fall, inequality goes up again. And I, I think that's not because trade unions transform your wages. I'm sure they help. Uh, it's that uh, trade union membership is a sign of the health, if you like, of the whole labour movement, the social democratic parties, and so on. That alternative ideology in
0: society well there has definitely been a global ideology shift hasn't there you know since the the 80s and certainly here in the uk you know we've followed the american model of just unregulated everything free trade capitalism doggy dog mentality and we've got the uh demonstrable social s- scars to show for that which which seems to be very similar to the sort of um, social issues that that they have and much like America, our politics has now become completely dominated by the interests of, you know, the rich, you know, elite 1% business class, who I'm assuming are the main barriers to progress on the issue of inequality, because they, of course, are the main beneficiaries of it.
1: Well, I think the influence of the rich on politics has increased enormously um, with rise of income differences. Um, you know, they buy their way, their influence. Um, uh, the money spent by large corporations and uh, the super rich on on lobbying um, in in most countries has increased enormously, and uh, they manage to get the legislation they want. Um, uh, a, a lot of people have have remarked how inequality is is, is fundamentally destructive of democracy. Um, uh, and I do think our democracies have become more and more meaningless in right. a way. Right. Um, and I think there's a solution to that. I think one of the ways of reducing pay differences is uh, forms of economic democracy, um, employee representation on company boards, uh, employee ownership, things like that. Uh, so... Uh, gaining more equality by extending democracy into the economic sphere. Um, And the evaluation suggests that more democratic companies uh, work better um, than the the usual um, forms of management.
0: I guess it's difficult, though, isn't it? it? Because the the people that truly hold the reins of power these days, the people you just mentioned, you know, the super rich – I suppose they're not really affected by this, though, are they? I mean, they live in, you know, gated communities and yachts and private planes and their kids go to private universities. And so I suppose they are essentially insulated from the damage that this inequality, that they are the causes of, wreaks on the rest of society.
1: Well, I think they're not completely uh, insulated. We don't have data on the super rich. So we can't see um, the levels of mental illness or violence or whatever, but um, right. we can, I, 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 talking about the super-rich as the top fraction of 1%, but we can talk about the top 5 or 10%, Okay, and we see even they would do a bit better and more, um, and the differences are, are, are smaller um, at the top. Differences in what inequality does to people uh, compared to the impact on the bottom of society. Um, But it looks as, and we all know that that children get mental health problems and become uh, drug addicts and, um, you know, commit suicide and so on. Uh, They're not really insulated from. Uh, what goes on in the rest of society right
0: yeah and, and regardless anyway I mean you know 95 to five percent ratio is not a good split for the people that have got everything and then the rest of us that are scrambling amongst ourselves so regardless of whether the the top one five ten twenty percent or whatever like it or not it's still not cool the, the
1: democratic society ought to be able to deal with this yes um, whatever the top one percent are doing are thinking
0: yeah right.
1: But, but actually, it's they who control what happens. And it, it's it's not only the lobbying, it's also the control they have over the media. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the major newspapers, um, um, television and so on. Yeah. And uh, actually, it was clear in the States you could see uh, the right setting up, um, uh, right-wing radio stations and so on. Um, uh, which became more influential and uh, helped this change in popular ideology.
0: Well, I suppose it comes down to our values, doesn't it? I mean, we as you mentioned, we do have an instinctive set of values, and most of us know kind of instinctively that inequality is wrong. We don't need to explain to us why that is, so you know we do have those values, but we' we we've been locked into a system now whereby we are living out out of alignment with our quite primal and natural human and communal values so Essentially, I feel that you know, we need a shift back now. We need to reclaim the the ground that we've lost and get back to a sense of living in alignment with the values that are better for everybody.
1: Well, I think there are more immediate effects. I and mean, one of the things when I give talks, I show that um, community life weakens. Uh, people feel they can't trust each other. There are various questions in in uh, national surveys like. Uh, uh, do you feel uh, people would take advantage of you if they got the chance? Or do you feel most people can be trusted? And that plummets with greater inequality. Uh, and, of course, that goes with um, people not feeling safe walking home late at night yeah. in, in right. our towns. And, you know, it's a major issue, particularly for women, um an an infringement of their freedoms, a very important fundamental infringement. Um, But uh, you also get this rise in homicide rates, um, which has been shown all over the world. So those more unequal societies are not only less friendly, less community-orientated, less trusting of each other, uh, but they're more dangerous. And if you look at really the most unequal societies, uh, places like Mexico and South Africa, uh, you see it's gone a stage further. There are people actually afraid of each other. They've got bars on their windows and doors and razor wire around the top of the, you know, around their gardens and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, other people are, are to be feared, kept out, dangerous. Um, And uh, that is really so tragic because um, studies of happiness and well-being show that the quality of social relations is absolutely crucial. You know, having lots of friends, being involved in community life are fundamental to happiness. And it's there that inequality is doing its greatest damage. And that's not just the poor. It's what all of us suffer.
0: 100 percent. Yeah. And that ties in with something else I wanted to ask you about. I haven't yet read The Inner Level, which is the other book that you co-authored with Kate Pickett. Um, the tagline to that is how more equal societies reduce stress, restore sanity and improve everyone's well-being. Now, I'll be fascinated to read that because we have seen, and it's quite well known now, that there's a global increase in, certainly in the Western world, of anxiety and stress and depression and all of these things. And I think it's a direct result of this ideology shift that we've been talking about. This kind of dog-eat-dog, you're on your own, there's no community, it's just the individual. That living out of alignment with our natural sense of community and, and tribalism is... It's going to be detrimental to people's mental health. And certainly now, at a time of the cost of living crisis and war and all the bad news and our national assets are getting sold out from under us and stuff like that, more and more increasingly are we becoming stressed and tense and pressured and anxious and despairing because of the ever-tightening grip of this right-wing, conservative, capitalistic worldview. So am I right in thinking that that's where you're going in the other book, The Inner Level?
1: Yes. Um, I think after writing The Spirit Level, we felt that uh, people still didn't see that they were personally affected by income inequality. It was something that was out there in society, but you know, most of us, we only think about our friends and family and so right. on. Uh, we have an idea of a the personal life that really matters to us and the big outside things in society uh, are somewhere else. And so we wanted to show that actually the mechanisms come right into our most personal experience. And actually what inequality does, I said uh, it makes class and status more important, it that means it raises issues of uh, your, your feelings about self-worth, uh, and it's clear that we feel that we're more worried by other people's judgments of us, um, uh, how they, uh, they see us, and, um, you know, do they think we're, we're stupid, incompetent failures, or yeah. do they think we're very successful and clever and all the rest of it? and um <clears throat> there is a response to that if you're worried about how you're seen and judged by other people and we all are to some extent you know it, you're worried about the impression you give to people and what you look like and you know yep. whether you've got the right sort of uh, a decent car or yeah. Um, whether you've got the latest phone or all those uh, in your clothes, whether you've got the designer labels, and what you find is people uh, buying more status goods, uh, spending more money on 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 things that look good, from clothes to cars. Um, but uh, the, the psychological response is is twofold. You can either uh, feel, uh, lack of confidence, um, insecurity that you're no good. You find social life too stressful. You withdraw from, you know, you, you don't go to parties and evening things like that because you're worried about. Uh, all this stuff, um, social contact becomes more stressful and anxiety-provoking, withdraw from social life, who get depressed and so on. Or you can, the other response to feeling worried about how people uh, see and judge you is to big yourself up. Hmm. Um, so uh, you go in for what psychologists call self-aggrandizement. Um, right. Uh, uh, Um, self-enhancement, and part of it, as I said, through consumerism. Um, But you can see it. in. uh, There's a nice research paper which looked at what they called status anxiety, Hmm. and they show that in more unequal countries, the whole population, all income groups from the rich to the poor, have more status anxiety than people in more right. uh, unequal, more sorry, more equal societies. Yeah. So we all get more twitchy about how people see and judge us, and that those issues of confidence um, are very personal. And I think we all feel that you know we have this little psychological weakness. We're all a bit worried about what other people think of us. Uh, and that lack of confidence is seen. I think we we mostly see it as a sort of personal psychological weakness that we hide right. away. Um, in fact, we should share it with others and say, "Look, I know, I feel like this, and so do you." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we must uh, put our guard down and, and share these things a bit. Um, but I think part of the uh, decline in community life, um, is that, um, we are more worried about these social, um, connections. Um, we're more worried about, um, you know, you're more hesitant to start chatting to people you don't know because of, you just feel more inhibited, yeah. socially inhibited, yeah. I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, I think you're right. That's something that we all carry, even, even people in the top 5%, I'm sure, are going to have that kind of, um, I suppose you could describe it as a kind of uh, relative status. You know, it's like we're all constantly um, made to feel inadequate compared to what's happening, what we think is happening in the rest of society. And because of this value shift that's now happened, you know, since the, the late 70s, is, you know, we now tend to measure things based on our personal level of success or personal riches or personal possessions or personal power or strength in whatever form that might be. And we tend to identify very much now in that way. And of course, we get it rammed down our throats as well. You know, the examples of people who are richer and better looking and more successful than we are. Um, and we, we do have this feeling that it's on us, you know, to, to make it on our own and to, to, to fight our way to the top of the pile rather than being part of a functional healthy equal society which would be a lot more attainable and a lot better for everybody
1: yes it's a very fundamental damage to the social fabric um and i think people you know they feel it now but they don't see the pattern of change right Uh, perhaps it's it's harder for younger people to see see it but you know, I'm I'm getting on now, and uh, in terms of age, um, and uh, I remember when society was different, Right. and the changes uh, since free market fundamentalism, neoliberalism, Thatcher and Reagan came in around 1980. Uh, I can, in my own experience, I can feel that they have made our society more anti-social. Right um it used to be a a warmer more friendly cooperative place than it is now
0: well i'm an 80s baby so i don't have any other point of reference you know i know it's crazy um but i don't have a personal point of reference of what life could be like that would be different to this bad luck (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you're right
1: (laughs) we we uh, we have to be um campaigning, struggling to make a, a better society that has those characteristics that we know are important to our well-being and happiness.
0: Well, speaking of solutions then and moving us into a better direction, um to, to kick off, I asked the chat GPT, you know, the artificial intelligence uh, computer, how oh, we yeah. can solve inequality before I came on the podcast today. And I want to share with you what it said. Number one, Tax the rich higher. Two, increase wages. Number three, strengthen the unions. Number four, provide free education and free healthcare for all. Number five, tightly regulate the financial and real estate industries. Now, I was quite impressed with that. I thought that sounded quite lefty for a robot. Um, would you agree? Um, yes,
1: I would. Uh, I, I've tried it out on a number of things, not that particular question, and I've been rather impressed by its answers. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose it, it's going through vast quantities of uh, research and discussion yeah. and literature and so on, and just pulling out the stuff that comes up repeatedly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's no doubt we've got to tax uh, the rich more. I, I mean, given that our services, public services are falling to bits. Um, You know, whether it's school buildings with the ceilings falling down or um, lack of teachers in all sorts of subjects or uh, whether it's the NHS, um, uh, the idea that you should allow the super-rich to be pulling in uh, millions each year and giving rise to... um, Uh, In families, um, I can't remember the word I want, but um, uh, who will not have to work for generations because their great-great-grandfather was paid millions and they stashed away and so on. We don't want a society like that. And nobody can really believe that allowing people to have those huge incomes is more important than funding the health service properly. Um, but it's not just a matter of taxes and benefits. It's it's as I was saying earlier, a matter of um, extending democracy into the workplace. And um, if there was some um, measure of democracy in the workplace, you might think your boss should get a bit more than you. You might think maybe you'd vote for him to have twice as much, but you probably wouldn't vote for him to have two or three hundred times. No. I'm saying him all the time, but of course there are and now a few women uh, CEOs. Well, we say uh,
0: him because that is generally the way it is, <laughs> unfortunately. That's generally you know. the way it is, yes. <laughs>
1: um, people actually often ask me how um, other forms of uh, inequality fit into this, uh, ethnic inequality, gender inequality, and actually uh, – well, they're all related, because in societies where you've got bigger overall income differences, there is more discrimination by uh, ethnicity and gender. Uh, so women's pay disadvantage is bigger in those societies. Right. right. And the differences between black and white are bigger. Um So, you know, it's part of the way I said um, that class and status becomes more important. With that goes a process of thinking the people at the top are brilliant and the ones at the bottom are are hopeless, and the prejudiced view that uh, the poor are poor because they're, I don't know, lazy and stupid. Yeah. yeah. All those prejudiced ideas. Uh, But actually, as soon as anything becomes a uh, a marker of low social status, whether it's skin color or, um, in some countries, your linguistic group, um, you know, in the States, Spanish speakers, um, right, uh, or in, in Belgium, there are different linguistic groups that go, have some status, uh, relevance and, um, right. or in Northern Ireland, what religion, um, uh, when any of those things become markers of status, they are stigmatized right um and actually, you can see in some of these things, like um obesity, it changes it used to be the fat who, who uh, the rich who are fat and the poor who are thin yeah and in the twentieth century, that reversed um and uh, so suddenly um obesity starts to be stigmatized,
0: yeah right, right.
1: Um, Actually, you see the same um, with suntan. When the poor um, worked in the fields and were very suntanned, um, uh, you tried. The the upper classes tried to keep as white as they could. Um, Women carried parasols to shade themselves from the.
0: Because it showed they weren't working in the fields, right? I get it. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Right? And
1: then, as soon as the the poor were um, living in in cities, in basements, working in factories uh, without seeing the sun at all, um, they became white, and it became fashionable to be to have a nice suntan.
0: Right. And
1: uh, and it, it's awful how these the importance of class and status work
0: out. Yeah, no, it really is, man. It's such a shameful, needless destruction to so many people's lives in so many different ways when it could so easily be the other way. And when you look at the world now from your experience of, of the transitions that society has made, do you see hope? Are we moving, you know, there's signs that we're moving in the right direction, that things are turning a corner, or are we just freewheeling our way to the end of the cliff?
1: Well, I think there's a big, big fight going on, but, um, actually even fueling the far right is, I think that sense of loss of status, um, and, uh, you know, make America great again is yeah. people wanting, you know, even if they've been diminished and looked down on, they want to be part of something that is seen as, as great, partly as a response to, uh, and I, but I, you know, I think the prejudices increase with um, the more you have your own uh, status self-worth taken away from you, uh, the more you try and regain it by saying, at least I'm better than those bastards. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, uh, and so um, it, it generates prejudice, downward prejudice. Division, in society. yeah. But society. Uh, I'm in a way I'm hopeful because I think that uh, the amount of inequality is intimately linked to whether or not we can move towards sustainability. And the the environmental footprint of the rich is so much bigger than of the poor. And um, if you start to try, if you have environmental taxes, carbon taxes, and so on. The poor will feel they're unfair um, unless they're much uh, raised, much uh, much higher rates on the rich. And you saw this in France when President Macron um, proposed raising taxes on fuel, which he thought saw as a a green measure. and uh, the response was the Gilets Jeunes. There was this huge movement lasting months and months, then endless different French cities yeah. uh, saying that that was unfair uh, to be taxing the fuel that the poor uh, used. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Macron had to drop it. Um, and, you know, there are lots of reasons for thinking that to make any environmental Um, policies acceptable, they have to be uh, accompanied by um, measures to increase equality. Um, But as I say, particularly because, uh, you know, the private planes and the endless uh, amounts of flying done by the rich um, uh, and and lifestyles and huge houses and so on, uh, the environmental footprint is really so much worse. Yeah. And actually, uh, to to move towards sustainability, environmental sustainability, uh, we just have to lower consumption. Uh, and it's the consumption of the rich which is the main offender.
0: No yeah, problem. Yeah, 100%. Well, as we come towards the end then, because I'm conscious to not take up more of your time than I promised you I would, what can people listen to this do? What can we do? What can what can the ninety-five percent of us actually do to regain control and steer us back to sanity?
1: Well, we started the Equality Trust, which you'll find on the web if you look up uh Equality Trust um dot org dot yeah uh, and that's a small um registered charity that campaigns for greater uh equality um but uh I think what people do in the um workplaces um, um membership of trade unions and so on is is important and students uh, in some universities have taken up the issue of the pay differences within the uh, universities between the vice chancellor at the top and the cleaners at the bottom. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that has led to some changes. Uh, many of the labor controlled local, uh, governments in Britain, um, I think 15 or 20 of the big cities in Britain controlled by labor authorities have set up what they call fairness commissions to recommend how to make, um, uh, how to reduce income inequalities locally, and they've led to almost all those uh, cities uh, paying at least the living wage rather than the minimum wage. Right, um, and some of them uh, insisting that the, the the suppliers, the people they buy from, the companies also pay the living wage. And there is now a big living wage movement, and so campaigning on these issues is really important. In all sorts of uh, uh, situations, not only at work and students and so on, but also through the sort of things that the Equality Trust is doing, Um, talking about it, but joining trade unions is
0: important too. 100%. Yeah. I mean, essentially coming together as a community again, regaining that community attachment and that communal identity rather than the individualistic identity that we've all been so bought into now and and coming up together, stronger together and regaining control of our shared resources and shared identity and shared power. Um, so Richard, thank you so much for doing everything that you've done along with uh, Professor Kate Pickett as well to highlight and amplify this issue and to, to lay out the case so plainly and so clearly and demonstrated with the the data as to why this issue now is case closed and indisputable. So we know what the problems are. We know why we have these problems and we know what we've got to do about it. So it's a, it's an in, it's an invaluable gift that you've given us. So thank you so much for all of the hard work. As you said there, check out the equalitytrust.org.uk if you want to get involved. And also, I would 100% everybody listen to this, rush out right now and buy the book, The Spirit Level. The book that we've been talking about today, but all of this stuff is laid out with all of the information and all of the uh, background. And also check out The Inner Level, which I have yet to read, but you can mark my words, I will soon be doing so. Richard, thanks so much for giving us your time today. It's been a fascinating chat, and we thank you again for everything that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you for spreading the word. It's essential work. Thanks.
0: Oh, that was the least I can do Anytime. Thanks again, Richard. It's been great to meet you, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Professor Richard Wilkinson, ladies and gentlemen. Put it together for him. We must, of course, give a shout out as well to Professor Kate Pickett, who is the co-author of The Spirit Level, who has been, I'm sure, equally involved in the project. Such great work those guys have done in those books. Fascinating stuff. And just to have that issue case closed is really, really useful and important. And there it is in black and white. They've proven it, man. They've been through all the data. They've collated it all together in a scientifically sound method. And they've put it all there in black and white for you. All of the social ills that we struggle with and that cost us a lot of money and that we all have to suffer the results of are all without question the results of financial and social inequality in our society. And those societies that don't have that financial and social inequality do not have any of those problems. I mean, of course they do in tiny amounts, of course, you know, people are people, right? But it's proportional, directly proportional to the level of equality or inequality in a society. So if you want a better, fairer, safer, better educated, less violent, happier, well-adjusted, more creative and productive society, you're going to have to get rid of that inequality, baby. And the only way we're going to be able to do that, it seems, is by coming together. We've got to let go of this Thatcherite Reaganistic idea that we are all dog eat dog against each other. It's, you know, we've got to fucking be winners and, you know, be richer and stronger and work harder than the next guy and get to the top and be a fucking survivor and a fighter. We got to get rid of that mindset. It's bullshit. If it wasn't bullshit, how come it only works out for like less than 1% of the population? And most of those motherfuckers are rich when they were born anyway. So it's a fucking lie, man. It's a lie. It's never going to happen to you. You're better off coming together, stronger together, and fucking overthrowing the system and creating a new one. And that's not a radical idea. This is not a romantic yearning for some kind of unrealistic utopia. We've been there before. (laughs) We've had a society that was fairer but you can't take your eye off the ball. You know, the bad guys are always looking to come and fucking pull the rug out so they can run away with all the cash again. You know, we've it, like Tony Benn said, every generation must fight the same battles. You know, there's no final victory and there is no final defeat, you know? And I love that. It's one of my favorite quotes. But what it means is is that, yeah, we can't get too comfortable. It's like it's the same battle over and over and over again. And man, the bad guys have been kicking our ass quite severely for quite a long time now i think i think the pressure is boiling now it's so bad out there that we really need to come together as brothers and sisters and fucking let them know where the power is we are the power and enough is enough so i hope you enjoyed the episode i hope you found that insightful and interesting and great food for thought do check out the and also the Spirit Level and the Inner Level books as well by Professor Richard Wilkinson and Professor Kate Pickett. And if you do nothing else with your day-to-day, give me a subscribe. Hit the James Kennedy podcast subscribe button, the follow button. If there's a star rating, if you're on Apple or Spotify, give me a star. Dude, it's one click of a button. Doesn't cost you nothing and you'll be helping me out. You'll be making a little Welsh podcaster happy, okay? Look at all the free goodies I'm giving you here, man. This is good stuff. As always, I'll be back next week with another awesome guest, so I'll see you there. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. I love you loads, and I'll see you next time.